So Romans chapter one, verse one, Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world for God whom I serve in my spirit and in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request. If perhaps now at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even among the rest of the Gentiles. And Father, we do thank you for this passage. We thank you uh, for your word. We ask now, Lord, that you would help us And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we sort of did a a flyover of Romans as as a way of interview. I want to show um, the the next slide, I think, is the map, or it should be the map. So the Apostle Paul wrote this. Paul's journey uh, in life, he was raised a Jew. He was uh, of the upper echelon of the Jews in how he studied. He studied under Gamaliel. We learned that he was born up in modern-day Turkey in Tarsus, but he was um, basically sent by his family down to Jerusalem and he studied in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. He was, uh, of all of the apostles, he was the most um, pedigreed, the one that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He studied under Gamaliel. He was um, on the fast track to become probably the leader of the Sanhedrin. Um, He was persecuting the Christians, the very first Christian to be um, executed for his faith was Stephen and, and Saul was there. Uh, that's, that day seemed to stick with Saul throughout all of his life. It sort of haunted him for his actions before he came to know Christ as Savior. Uh, he left Jerusalem, was on his way up to Damascus. Um, and while he was on that journey, Christ came out of heaven and appeared to him. And basically, Paul was converted. He gave his life to Christ and Uh, Kind of speeding up the story, he ends up going on his first missionary journey, which took him up and around, basically into Turkey and then back down. It was a very kind of short geographically trip. I say that sort of tongue in cheek. It's farther than most of us walk. But of all of his journeys, it was the shortest one. Uh, Following the second journey, they had the Jerusalem Council 
trying to figure out what to do with all of the Gentile believers. Uh, Should they be circumcised? Do they have to convert to Judaism and then from there um, follow Christ? Or how how did it work, these two groups? That happens in Acts chapter 15. Following that, Paul takes off on his second a missionary journey which went a lot further up into modern day Greece. He hits Corinth, uh, which was a, a a major major city. It was where all of the ships would pass through. They'd have to, or maybe not ships, maybe more boats. They had to pick them up and carry them over a four mile isthmus of land. There's now a canal there. He spends a year and a half there, basically uh, reaching out, discipling people. He meets Aquila and Priscilla, uh, two Romans who had basically. Uh, come from Rome, uh, and they were basically kicked out of Rome, and they were there for a while. He meets him there. He finishes up his missionary journey, and then he goes off on his third missionary journey. And as he does his third missionary journey, the purpose of the third missionary journey was essentially to raise funds to help the believers that were left in Jerusalem. They were having a crisis, and so he needed to raise money. On his way back around, he stops in Corinth. He stops there for three months, and while he's there in this town, he stays at a man's house named Gaius. At Gaius's house, he had his um, stenographer or secretary. I'm, I'm forgetting the guy's name. Back in Romans 16, uh, we uh, it's going to bug me. It starts with a T. It's like Tertius or uh, Tertius, verse 22. So there, are three of these guys were there. Paul's articulating what he once said in in Romans. And Tertius writes it down for Paul. Um, From there, Paul was going to make his way back to Jerusalem to give the money. And then he wanted to go to Rome. He would end up in Rome. But unfortunately, while he was in Jerusalem, he gets arrested. So he's arrested in Rome. The trial goes on for a while. Uh, He eventually appeals to Caesar and he gets a free ride to Rome. Uh, compliments of the Roman government on a ship, and that's how Acts sort of ends. Um, but from here, as he's in Corinth and he finishes the letter of Romans, it's believed from Romans chapter 16, verse 1, that the letter was given to a lady named Phoebe. And then Phoebe basically hand, transports the letter up to Rome um, and, and delivers it. This is an important thing to keep in mind because Romans... I read a bunch of quotes about Romans last week about how this book can transform your life, how it's transformed uh, the churches over hit over the history. Men like Martin Luther uh, Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, um, Tyndale, all of these guys point to this book as being this this doctrinal book that is super, super critical in the Christian life, which is true. But we lose something if we come to this book, this letter, this this inspired word of God and hold it just as a a letter that's sort of like a doctrinal statement, like that a church would have on their website. Um, There's definitely an aspect to this to this letter being a, a doctrinal statement. But on the other side, this is Paul, the apostle in relationship with people as he's in Corinth, heading back to 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 Jerusalem He's got this vision that he wants to get to Spain. He's heard about these these believers in Rome, that their faith, we're going to see, has been going out throughout the whole world. Um, 
the, the word on the street was, man, God's doing good stuff to these people. He longed to see them. And as he, he thought about their strategic place in Rome, this great city, he's like, what a launching point for me to, to get a ministry so that I can get out to the, the farthest reaches of the world and get to Spain where I want to go. And so he writes them with love. I've been reading through Romans through the week. If you guys have started a Bible program, that's great. You can read through the year. But if you want to read through Romans on a weekly basis, it'll, you'll, you'll see it in a different way as you read it over and over and over again. It helps you to keep the big picture um, as we get sort of lost in the minutia of the letter. But one of the things that stood out to me this week reading it Romans has some difficult stuff. Not some of it's difficult to understand. There's some other stuff that's that cuts against a culture and and things that we think are politically correct and and and, and acceptable. I'm I'm reading through this, and I don't want to get lost in all the drama. But I don't know I don't know all of the details. But I do know that there's a, a pastor who's not doing the. Uh, Giglio or whatever that was supposed to do the presidential prayer, but because he handled an issue from Romans 20 years ago, it's all up in arms and he's basically had to step down. This book is going to challenge us. And I love that in chapter 15, verse 15, as Paul's like sort of concluding his letter, he writes to them, he says, I, but I've written to you very boldly to you on some points to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me. And so this is a not just a, a doctrinal letter. It, there's a whole lot of doctrine. But it's written from a man who very much loves these believers. He wants to establish them. So we have to keep all of this in mind as we're, as we're reading. We'll be transformed when we go through this letter. And we come to it with the attitude of like, Lord, you've written it. Would you speak to me through this? It applies to me and to my life. Um, so as with that introduction, verse one, verses one through seven are one long sentence in the English and in the Greek. It's hard to read that whole thing in one breath. It, you can get lost in it. Paul writes with a lot of parenthetical statements. He starts going and then he has this thought from something he said and so then he unpacks that one thought. Then he comes back around to what he, he started with. So to make the first seven verses as simple as possible to us, if we remove the parenthetical statement, it would. this is what it says. Paul, to all who are beloved in God in Rome. That's, that's what he's saying. This is, this, is his, this is how they started letters during that time. You first say, who's writing? Who's it going to? So we learn that it's Paul. Verses 2 through 6 are essentially a parenthetical statement. But Paul, as he opens up with his name, he addresses himself. This is the most exhaustive introduction that he gives out of all of his letters. He identifies himself with three terms. He first says, a bond servant of Christ Jesus. A bond slave is literally how it reads. This is a term that would have been highly derogatory for most of the recipients. Rome was a town or a city that of the million people, half of them were either slaves or were recently freed slaves. 
For the Greeks to identify yourself with being a slave was something that nobody wanted to do. Uh, Slave trading back then, literally humans would be lined up on a slab of rock, bless you, and they would be naked and people that wanted to to purchase these humans as a commodity would basically examine them, bid on them. They would purchase them and then they would own them like a piece of property for the rest of that person's life. And so to identify yourself as a slave is not something that anybody would want to do. And yet Paul, what he, the, the thing that he identifies himself is as a bond slave of Christ Jesus, that he has submitted himself to the Lord Christ, that the Christ is indeed the Lord of his life, and he by choice has submitted himself. Just reading that phrase, it's convicting to me. I, I long to s- submit my life to Christ in a way that I could probably say, Lord, I'm your bond slave. Like I want to live my life in a way that's obedient to him. But so often our, my flesh rebels and I, you know, I don't do the things that I want to do. But he says, I'm a, a bond servant of Christ, a bond slave, called as an apostle, a sent one. A, apostle was, was often used during this era. There's a couple different ways you can use this word. Um, as an envoy, if, the, if, a, if a Caesar needed to get a message somewhere, he would send apostles out to, to send the message. Um, an apostle, capital A, which Paul was one, was part of uh, the early church. Those who saw Jesus's ministry, those were called by Jesus to testify firsthand. We see that Paul was a special apostle that was handpicked by Jesus on the road to Damascus to reach the people, the Gentile people for Christ. He identifies himself as an apostle. And then he says, thirdly, that he was set apart for the gospel of God. Um, <clears throat> This word set apart is a word where we uh, get the word horizon from or uh, sort of like a circular boundary. Uh, There were times in the Navy going across certain oceans where if you got to the highest point and you looked all the way around, all of you, all you saw was ocean 360 degrees, like a big circle. And Paul basically says, I was set apart. Like it's almost like this picture that he was pulled from one circle of his life, placed into another circle of life. Uh, but really that pulling happened before he was born. Uh, we can go back to the previous slide over in Galatians. If you'll turn with me to Galatians chapter one, real, just really quickly. <clears throat> Galatians is often referred to as a mini Romans. I believe it was one of Paul's earliest letters that he wrote. And in verse 15 of Galatians chapter one, Paul writes this. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Then he goes over his journey. But what the point I want to make here as we go back to Romans that this set apart, Paul views his life that even in his mother's womb, God had sort of had set him apart specifically for this ministry that he was doing. I get emails every now and again from, from this, uh, where we sent Ladybug when I went to Mongolia. Uh, Ladybug is my dog, for those of you that don't know. You know Grace named our dog. Uh, and uh, So we have a black lab called Ladybug. And Ladybug went to this hunting school. And so I'm on this hunting school's email list. And so they often are uh, sending out 
emails for dogs that they have available for sale and they're ridiculously priced these are dogs that are like sent to to be you know like dogs looking for people trapped in avalanches and and so they often send out these letters and this week they sent out one of this pup who was one of their litter that before it was born it was sold to a to a ski not instructor, but ski guys, you know, a, a paramedic on the ski slope, ski patrol. And, and so this dog was sold for a huge amount of money to help find people that are caught in avalanches. And they're like, oh, here's this dog. He's fully certified now and he's loving life. And they're showing him in the picture of this, you know, the, the little ski chair sitting next to his owner. And I'm looking at that going, man, that dog was set apart for that job before he was even born. Like that they, they had bought the dog just on the promise that these two dogs would have a litter and they were set apart. Um, Paul viewed his life like that. He thought he was on this whole course of, of doing what he was doing within Judaism. But God had this plan and he was set apart for the ministry that he gave his life to. I recently, uh, two years ago or so, had this same sort of feeling. I kind of was like, oh, man, like that. I, I didn't like it so much. But I, you know, I serve as a, a chaplain for the Escondido SWAT team. And about after a few months, I remember leaving the range and pulling out of there and having this overwhelming feeling like God was saying to me, Gunnar, you were only a seal to prepare you for this ministry. You were not a seal for any of that other stuff. I'm like, oh, come on, Lord. Like, that was kind of cool. Like, he's like, nope, it was only to prepare you. You're set apart, and I'm using you in this capacity. And I assure you that God has set apart each one of you for something specific that I, I can't answer that question. But we're each like snowflakes, each individual, and God has called each one of us to serve him in some capacity. And Paul says, I've been set apart for the gospel of God, the good news. And I believe that when he writes this, this thoughts of the gospel, the, the good news, the euangelion in the Greek, where, where Paul defines this in 1 Corinthians 15 as the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. And from this, he takes a detour. Or, or, or a parenthetical statement as he starts thinking of the gospel, which in the opening 17 verses, the introduction of Romans, the gospel is the theme in these 17 verses, if not for the whole book of Romans. We read the gospel in verse 1, the gospel of God. If we skip down to verse 9, we see... Uh, for God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I mention, uh, mention of you. If we skip down to verse 15, Paul says, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so the gospel, we see this word pop up four times in the verse 17 verses. Anytime you start seeing a, a, a word that pops up multiple times as you're doing a Bible study, it's God kind of flashing a light. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to point out the gospel. And so from 
verse 1, where we see that he was set apart for the gospel of God, verses 2 through 6 are connected to that phrase, the gospel of God, where Paul is going to expand on this gospel of God. He doesn't know the church in Rome. He's never met them. He's only heard about them. In many ways, he not, he not only is trying to introduce himself to them, but he, he sees them as a strategic launching point to continue his ministry to the ends of the earth, to, to, to Spain at that time. And so he needs to explain to them his doctrinal position. And he makes it very clear here. So as he speaks of the gospel of God, verse 2 is a subset of that, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Paul makes it very clear that the gospel of God isn't some new fad teaching that just surfaced. Paul quotes the Old Testament in Romans probably more than in any of his other books. It's mentioned some 60 times. There's some 60 quotes of or allusions to the Old Testament. And so Paul, when he says this in this gospel, it was promised beforehand. We go all the way back to Genesis 3.15 and we see the first promise of the gospel through all of the prophets of the Holy Scriptures. God wasn't a different God in the Old Testament. There's a terrible misunderstanding or a lack of clarity of, of the overriding theme of the scriptures. When man fell and sin entered the world, God immediately started giving hope of the gospel. Those in the Old Testament look forward to what Christ would do on the cross in faith, although they didn't have the clarity that we have looking back. But he says, listen, he promised beforehand through his promises in the Holy Scriptures. If you'll turn with me to, to Romans chapter 15, which is sort of the intimate chapter in, in Romans. In, in Romans chapter 15, Paul kind of says, these are my travel plans. This is what's going on. He's landing his letter. And in Romans chapter 15, he writes this. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope so when paul speaks of of the scriptures he says it was written for us it was written to encourage us to give us hope and i hope that when we work our way through romans when you crack your bible you go with the attitude of lord would you speak to me would you shape my heart would you mold me and paul establishes from the get-go that the that the gospel the good news of christ in verse 2 was something that was prophesied all through the Old Testament. And as it was made fulfilled, that, that prophecy came to fruition. That this is nothing new. He goes on in verse 3. The gospel of God, still under that phrase, concerning his son. The content of the gospel is Christ. And he says it was promised from long ago through the scriptures, through the prophets, concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David, according to the flesh. In verse three, we see the humanity of Jesus, that Jesus came in the flesh. He was fully man. He was human. He was the descendant of David. If we go to Matthew, we can follow his lineage back. We can see that through Mary, that Jesus fulfilled all sorts of prophecy. As he transitions to verse 4, he goes into the deity of Christ. 
He said, who was declared the son of God with the power by the resurrection from the dead. In the Greek, it's an interesting every now and again, I read through the Greek and it like kind of stands out as sort of diff, just different. And it literally that he was the resurrection of the dead ones. Like that of all the people who've died in history where Jesus died, he resurrected from all of those dead ones. And he showed that he is God according to the spirit of holiness. So we have the humanity. Then we have his deity that he is indeed the Messiah. That as he was crucified on the cross, like so many people were under the Roman authority, what separated him is that he came back from the dead. He walked this earth. He lived. Paul was persecuting those that had claimed that he'd raised from the dead. And then Jesus appeared to him personally on the road to Damascus. As he was under arrest in Jerusalem and through that journey, we see that Jesus appears to him again and comforts him and encourages him. I believe that's in Acts chapter 23-ish as we skimmed through there last week. So Paul says, listen, he rose from the dead. Jesus isn't dead. The story didn't end on the cross. He is the Christ. And he ends verse four or not ends. He's still going on. But he says, Jesus, we see his human name. Then we see Christ, the old term, the the Greek term for Messiah, that he is the promised one. And then we come to this term Lord, curios in the Greek. We read this word with so much familiarness that it, it doesn't affect us anymore. But as Paul wrote this letter, as it was going to Rome and as it appeared to the saints that were there, this word curios is what you would call the Caesar. This word curios refers to your authority, the one who is over you, the one who Paul says he's a bond slave of Christ Jesus, that Jesus Christ is his Lord and is his ultimate authority, that everything that he does is subjection to his will. This word curios got tons of Christians killed in the early church because when Caesar wanted to be called Lord, they said, I'm sorry, but I cannot call you curios. For I serve the Lord Christ. This is Jesus. Render under to Caesar. What's Caesar? Because it said Lord on there. Well, he wants to be Lord. He can have it. But he's not Lord. And so when the Romans say Jesus Christ our Lord. It would separate them from their world around them. Their safety of the world. Which we'll get at when we look at them. This is the content of the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ, our Lord, that he has absolute authority over them. He continues from Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, I got some stuff to say about Jesus. So verse verse five is sort of going to unpack that phrase. And he says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. So when he looks at Christ, the Lord that Paul met on the road to Damascus, Paul, who thought he was justified by the law, Paul, who thought as he was blameless before the law, he said, you know what? As far as the law is concerned, I'm without sin. I've obeyed it completely, totally. But his standard of holiness was was off. 
He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and suddenly he realizes how holy God is and how unholy he is and how his righteousness isn't righteousness at all. And he gets to the Jesus Christ, our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Lord that I met on the road to Damascus through whom we have received grace. This unmerited favor that God poured out upon them and apostleship that, that he would then commission us as first Corinthians. Uh, what is it? First Corinthians or second Corinthians five, that we have been given this ministry of, of reconciliation that, that, that Paul would be chosen by God to be sent out. And I imagine him just kind of pausing there. We know that Paul through his writings, he often was haunted by the words of Stephen and those Christians that he executed threw into prisons. And yet Paul, God has mercy on and, and his grace abounds. And now he's called as an apostle, called to reach the Gentiles. I can't help but to see him read this, that he's, that this great, this is something that was special to him. To bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles for his name's sake. The gospel isn't just about getting fire insurance out of that you're, you're safe from going to hell. A lot of us come to faith and say, well, I don't want to go to hell, so I'll believe in Jesus. But for Paul, the gospel was not just to, to move you from death into life, but was that your life would be under the headship, the lordship of Christ, and that you would bring about the obedience of faith. He says to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles for his namesake, for his glory, that, that the Gentiles would then understand who God is and live for him and that God's name would be glorified through him, by him. And he says, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved. Now he goes back to his original thought. He got off on all of that stuff about the gospel, about Jesus. But as he describes himself, Paul, to all who are beloved in Rome, called as saints. When I read saints, my Catholic upbringing has so distorted my understanding. Not now, of course. But to me, when I read saint, it meant, I forget exactly the details, but you have to be dead by, by a such amount of time then you have to have a number of miracles that are accredited to you. And, and, and so saint is something that's like, well, very few people achieve sainthood. But then when you come to the Bible, we're told that if you believe in Christ, you're a saint. It almost makes me chuckle to think of, you guys could call me Saint Gunner. And I could call you Saint Rick and Saint Rick and, you know, Saint Joshua and, and Saint Fran. We'll use throw female just to be evened out here. But, but the idea that you're set apart, you're holy, that God has called you for something. And to these Romans, beloved in Rome, that they're called as saints. Now, what was the situation in Rome? I think I'm like two pages back on my notes here. So Rome was this huge uh, megalopolis. I think it's a real word. I read it somewhere. So we could go to the map. The map, please. 
I have to wake him up back there, you know. Okay, so here's Rome. The saying was that all all roads led to Rome. That that the Roman this was where the authority of the Roman government was. This was the leading city during that period. Uh, they they built their roads so their soldiers could go out and subdue anybody in the known world that caused any sort of friction. Uh, within Rome, it was at this time there was a, a one million plus people living there. Um, the conditions were different for different people. Half of all of the occupants in Rome at that time were either slaves or they were recently freed slaves. In the in the town, there were there were buildings that had multiple floors. They refer to them as high-rises, but I don't know if we start thinking skyscraper if we're on the right track, but there were multi-floored buildings. There was only sanitation and water on the first floor, and so if you lived above the, the first floor, the conditions were rough. Um, there were multiple ethnic groups. Um, the communities within Rome were sort of self-governing. They almost became a government to themselves, and there was always fear of the Roman government coming down and cracking the whip on you. And so if you were in a, a certain group, um, there was always tension. There was, they were always on the verge of rioting because they couldn't get enough food and the resources that they needed to live. Um, and because of their constant, almost on the verge of rioting, there was the fear that the government was going to come crack down and ex- execute judgment on them. There was safety and security within these sort of self-governing blocks. I haven't spent much time in, in, in major, major cities. San Diego is a major city, but it's not like New York City or Chicago where you have like little Italy and little China and different groups where there's pockets of people. And so for those that were in Rome that became believers, they would be kicked out of their little community. There would be great fear. There would be persecution. They would be kicked out of their family and their community. And so when Paul writes them, they're receiving this letter. And I think that they get to verse 7. To all who are beloved of God in Rome. Paul says, you know what? I'm writing to you. Those in Rome who have come under the lordship of Christ. Those of you, there's a special little pocket of people whom God loves. To begin encouraging them. Um, to, To think that in the midst of this huge city, there were these people living there. And Paul writes to encourage them. I I think for us... The same thing could apply that within Valley Center, within San Diego, that there's a group of people that God cares for. Not that he doesn't care for all people, but for us, that he's called us to be his witnesses, to be those chosen people living for him. And he offers to them this grace and peace. Uh, The Jewish term would be shalom, peace, very common. Paul sort of took his Jewish background and he sort of morphed it into these, this two grace, God's unmerited favor to them. And peace, this, this peace from God, that in the midst of your circumstances, you have contentment. From the grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's identified himself. And then from 
verses 8 through 17, we're still in the introductory um, section of the letter. The, 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 the body of the letter begins in verse 18 of, verse, of chapter 1. But he begins out with some encouragement. Verse 8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Because, of your, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. As he writes to these people, he's never met them. He's in Corinth. But he's, he's met Aquila and Priscilla who are now back in Rome. He's heard people that have passed through Rome. And they're saying, there's this body of believers there that is walking with the Lord. And great things are happening. And Paul writes them and he gives them a sort of an attaboy. Here's the apostle Paul. And he said, listen, I've heard great things about you. Your faith is going around the world. And this is the known world of the time, which represents this map. So anywhere where we have sort of communication with people that we've heard about, they talk about your faith. You guys are doing great. And I give thanks to God for you. He goes on to say in verse nine, for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers making request. So Paul, we, we see here that Paul constantly is praying for this group of believers in Rome. He's never met them. You can pray for people that you don't know. You can pray for your president. In fact, we're encouraged to pray for our president and all of the leaders that have been placed under him that are above us. You can pray for our missionaries. You might know some of them. There's all sorts of biblical precedents for how do you that to pray for those that you don't know that when Paul thought of them, he began to pray for them. We can pray for Christians that are suffering around the world to think of the like the pastor Yusuf in Iran that was in taken into custody. He was taken back into custody. He's been released and his attorney was in taken into custody. And I think his attorney's been released again. So there's all sorts of things you can pray through your paper and pray for the situation of the world. And Paul tells him, listen, I've been praying for you. God is my, my witness to, to say that he knows how unceasingly I've been praying for you. I've been making mention of you always, make, always in my prayers, making requests. If perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. And he says, you know what? I want to go to you. I want to see you. My goal is to get there. We'll see in this letter his plan was just to go back to Jerusalem drop off the money, and then work his way back to Rome so that he could see them, ultimately so that he could get to, get to Spain to share the gospel where the gospel hadn't gone to. And then we come to verse 11 and 12. It's funny, these verses are very special to me. This is the verse that in Anna's engagement ring, when I gave it to her, we had this engraved on the inside. I think it's worn off now. And so when I come to this passage, I always feel like, Wait a minute, these are my verses between me and my wife. Not like, but that's not exactly how they came about. But these are great verses for, for we as Christians, how we want to live with one another, how we want to be and what our relations should be like with one another. And he says, for I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you. Each of us 
by the other's faith, both yours and mine. This is beautiful. Paul says, I want to see you. Like God's given me, he's gifted me in in certain ways. And I want to use these gifts to encourage you, to establish you, to, to help you in your walk with Christ. And then as I go to you, God's given you gifts. And I want to be encouraged and strengthened in my faith as we spend time together. This is what fellowship is. This is what spending time with one another as Christians is all about. That there's this mutual encouragement that we are a body. And God has given us each gifts to be used for his glory. To encourage and strengthen one another. And so he's longing to see them. And then he begins... He says, well, I do not, verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you. Paul's constantly, he's had multiple plans to try to get to Rome. And he's been prevented so far. He's like, man, every time I try, something happens. My plans change or, or I can't seem to get there, but I know that God wants me to get there. So that I may obtain some fruit among you. I believe this is his first sort of greasing the skids sort of Hey, when I go there, fruit is money. At the end of his letter, he's going to say that he, he's hoping to go there to spend time with them, to fellowship with them. But that he, he hopes that they're going to be able to finance his way to Spain for the next part of the leg. That he may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. And then verses 14 through 17, I, I'm really going to focus on this next week. But he goes on to say the reason that he wants to go on there is because of this gospel. That he's been called to proclaim this gospel to the Gentiles. And he needs to get to where the gospel hasn't been presented. Paul is a missionary at heart. He established so many of the early churches. He wants to continue to Spain, which he never made it there. He would make it to Rome and ultimately be killed for his faith. But we see this relationship building that he wants to get there. He he's longing for them to understand his heart, his passion, that he would build this strong relationship with them so that he ultimately then could take off for Spain. Well, Paul had his plans, but God had different plans for Paul. That's for sure. And next week, we're going to look at the gospel. Um, I think this is where we're going to stop for today. Romans is, is it was one of these tricky books. <clears throat> but when I look at this letter, it, it's encouraging me to see this, this, this relationship that's building between Paul and the Romans. Um, as he's establishing this relationship, he's laying down a framework of his understanding of the gospel. And it's the gospel that unites them. This church that had so much tension between the Jewish believers and the gentile believers and as he writes this letter he's going to build sort of a bridge between the two of them helping them to understand how they navigate their walk with christ from their multiple backgrounds i love about our churches that we have we do have quite a varied background of people and through the gospel we're united um I think we're going to close in prayer. I'll just stop before I get going into next week. Um, Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, as we look at Part's heart in this letter, we thank you, Lord, how you used him to pen um, this great letter. 
Lord, that you inspired him to give clarity on the gospel. Lord, we thank you that you transformed this man, that you uh, took him from the path that he was on, and that you, you set him apart for this work of sharing the gospel. And Father, as Paul was set apart, Lord, we come before you, acknowledging that each one of us, Lord, has been set apart for you, for, for something. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us um, to have clarity, Lord. Lord, as we grow in our relationship with you, as we come to know you more intimately, Father, we pray that you would help us to see, Lord, what it is that you've called us to do. Lord, whether we're students or parents, Lord, we pray that you would help us to live our lives in a way that we submit ourselves to you and to your authority. Father, we thank you for this letter um, of Paul and the Romans. Lord, we pray that you would continue uh, to speak through it, Lord. Uh, We love you, Father, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.